Hey everybody, this is Brian Bickford from Mainly Matters, the travel and tourism channel. Of course, you know that I discuss Maine tourism impacts, adventure and excursions, and more importantly, what makes Maine vacation land. You know, this is something that's really important. And, you know, I grew up on the coast of Maine and I had a wonderful childhood and so did all my friends. And the reason is, is that we had the ocean. It was our playground. You know, we everybody had a boat or we knew somebody that had a boat. Of course, we swam in it all the time, and we have numerous beaches all over the place. And this is just something we took for granted. And I'm telling you, we've got to wake up a little bit. Global warming is here. It's impacting our Gulf. It's impacting our area, and it's impacting the world. You know, and one of the things that I began to think about, particularly, um, you know, that love for Maine and that love for our oceans and our our, our, our sea workers, our agriculture workers. Um, you know, shipping and everything else that happens here is, is just an amazing um, effort. Um, but however, you know, have we been paying attention? And so I had to recruit somebody. I had to go look for someone that actually was my subject matter expert and, and to find out who in Maine is actually doing this kind of work that actually is paying attention. And, and I'd like to actually uh, acknowledge Blaine Grimes, who's the Chief Ventures Officer for the Gulf of Maine Research Institute. Hey, Blaine, how are you? Hey, Brian. I'm great. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, this is, uh, I'm sure this is something that you you deal with. I see that you've been with the, uh, the Gulf of Maine Research Institute for about 16 years. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what is the main purpose of it? Well, sure. Um, so Gulf of Maine Research Institute, we call ourselves GMRI. Um, we're an independent, um, objective, nonprofit organization um, that's dedicated to the resilience of that fabulous Gulf of Maine mm-hmm. ecosystem you were just talking about and all the communities that depend on it. Right. So um, that's what we do. We have uh, scientists here. Um, and so we, we have a combination of world-class Marine Research Institute um, uh, researchers, uh, community programs, education programming to truly understand how our natural and our social and our, you know, economic systems all interact with one another. So what's really important, I think, beginning, let's, let's unravel this a little bit. I mean, obviously measurements, the science part of it, talk to us a little bit about how is that happening? So, so what we do is we spend a lot of time trying to understand the actual systems of the Gulf of Maine. So we have a science team here that thinks about the ocean um, and particularly our Gulf of Maine from surface to bottom. And they're studying everything from uh, the the fish that swim to the ocean currents um, to what's actually happening in uh, species movement and shifts to due to, to to global warming. Mm-hmm. And and that science happens on a day-to-day basis. We're funded federally to do that work. And then we translate that into decision-making solutions as we look forward. So as I was doing a little research in preparation for this interview, um, I came across something that said the Gulf of Maine is actually warming faster than any other areas uh, on the planet. Is that is that true? Yeah, actually, that that comes out of our, our research team. It's one of the facts that's really gotten picked up in the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our senior researchers some years ago um, did a study, and we re- recognized that our Gulf of Maine is warming faster than about 99% of the world's oceans. So um, as a result, we are kind of the canary in the coal mine. We we are seeing change coming rapidly here, as a result of the sort of our geography and the uh, the bathymetry and all the characteristics that bring the Gulf Stream uh, together with the Labrador Current. And as a result, we we have this very unusual opportunity, as well as a you know the 
the challenge of being a living laboratory. And so we're seeing things happen and we have a chance to explore solutions um, and understand the implications of climate change before many other places the rest of the planet. So when you, when you make that kind of a statement that <clears throat> we're the fastest warming area, um, let's, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. How did that happen? How did we get here? Well, you're now you're now you're going to be talking to someone out of their area of expertise. I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you okay. I would defer to my science colleagues. But what I can tell you is that they've described this to me as um, the situation we're in is is just specific to our region. Mm-hmm. We're in a place where sort of they could think about there being two sources of water, hot and cold, and the balance right now where we are. Um, there's more hot water coming from the Gulf Stream up as the Gulf Stream bends than there is uh, cold water coming down um, from the from the um, the Arctic. And we're having ocean ocean warming happening as carbon is placed in the ocean. We happen to be in a place where that impact is being felt uh, more significantly. Yeah, you know. So let's just talk about um, on the ground here. We've got we all have friends that live in Maine that that yeah. um, that you know they're they're all lobstermen they're um, they're fishermen they're clamors um, there's there's all kinds of uh, work that happens around us um, I remember in the 80s or so that um, the Japanese were very uh, very keen on our our, our urchins and um, what, what's happened to the urchin business like was that is that an example of uh, sustainability or insustainability what's what happened there yeah, so my understanding is really that we had a, you know, as all fisheries are really in the world, these are global markets, and mm-hmm. so we there we went through a period of time where we had a tremendous population of, of sea urchins, and um, we recognized that there was an opportunity for sale, um, particularly in Japan and overseas, and so uh, I guess in this case uh, the the capital markets uh, won, and we had people receiving huge prices for uh, urchins that were being uh, being harvested by local fishers and local divers. And um, we didn't have the regulations in place at the time to prevent over-harvesting. Mm. And so we've effectively uh, fished out the, the urchin population um, in this area. And I think there's some, there's some um, regrowth, but mm-hmm. I think we, we, we substantially changed the ecosystem by the, by the amount of urchin uh, harvesting that was done. Yeah, and that's going to have impacts across the the entire ecosystem, correct? I mean, there's other things that probably are not. Well, sure, other yeah. things. Nature abhors a vacuum, so other mm. things come in, right? Mm, right. Yeah. Right. So, so when we talk about like the the lobster industry, that is regulated. That's highly regulated, right? It is, and it's regulated mm-hmm. by the state. Uh, the Department of Marine Resources is the is the primary agency that regulates that, and there are zones across the, the Gulf of Maine, and and actually, importantly. The lobster industry itself does a huge amount of its own regulating. They're they're a very sustainable industry. So you so you know that um, you know I am a um, an ex uh, CEO of a, a cruise company, and I also you know spend a lot of time on boats around the world. And you know this, of course, tourism. You know in Maine, you know it's it's a it's a major driver to our economy. About thirty seven um, million people come here every single year just to experience our oceans and our our mountains and our lands and um you know this this is very concerning you know to me and you know there's in the tourism component of that tourism is a component um of this thing that's called the blue economy can you talk to me about the blue economy what is that inform our listeners what that means sure well so first i just want to step back for a second mm-hmm. and reflect a little bit about what you were saying about how we all think about maine and the iconic images we hold in our hearts and our heads mm. about what it is to be on the coast of maine and um you know, our tourism, you know, so Maine tourism depends a lot on all these incredible coastal ecosystems that we have here. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the beaches and the parks, and the tide pools, 
um, you know, we have this seafood shacks and the lobster rolls and the, these iconic working waterfronts and harbors that we all picture when we come to Maine. So that's one piece of this blue economy you're talking about is this, is these working waterfronts and the tourism industry and recreational fishing is one big piece of it. Mm -hmm. But other pieces of blue, the blue economy really represents all of the aspects of sort of what happens from an economic perspective with Mm -hmm. um, the ocean. So um, it can be commercial fishing, which is a substantial part of the blue economy here in Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, more recently, uh, we've seen the emergence of um, aquaculture, and aquaculture has become a really interesting and exciting aspect of the blue economy here in Maine. We're growing scallops, we're growing oysters and mussels, uh, we, have a cl- we have clamming here. So there's a lot of shellfish businesses, and farming, um, uh, as opposed to just strictly wild harvest, has become a really interesting aspect of the blue economy. Mm-hmm. Shipping is another big piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have uh, we have um, boat building. Um, we have infrastructure that just goes into building of piers. So the blue economy can be a lot of things. And now, more recently, ocean wind. So energy is a big piece of it um, mm. as well. Um, so thinking about all the pieces of what happens in the blue economy um, is is really uh, sort of a centerpiece of what our work is today. You know, one of the things that really I think that you you touched on, but this uh, this waste management, there's nothing that irks me more than when I see plastic bags float, floating in the water. Um, you know, how is that being addressed, particularly in our our, our neighborhood? Yeah, so it's really interesting. It turns out that um, you know. Pl- Plastics is, is an issue that GMRI doesn't have any particular expertise in. It's, mm-hmm. it's an issue, however, that's becoming more and more pointed as we start thinking about plastic substitution and plastic waste. Mm-hmm. And obviously, microplastics are something that, that many people are concerned about within the blue economy as well. So um, there's a range of, of folks that study this, um, some of them um, resident in Maine, some of them entrepreneurs that are beginning to think about substitution and trying to think of bioplastics or things that will actually be biodegradable rather than using strictly plastics um, mm-hmm. for different activities, everything from uh, the, the consumables we use on land that end up in the water to things we actually use in fishing and in commercial practices that are practiced in the water. So that's what that, that's what that plastics thing is. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of companies and people thinking about recycling and how to keep it out of the water and out of waste. But there's also people thinking about how once it's in the water, we remove it. So we're seeing more and more um, cruise ships coming to Portland, you know, either localized mm-hmm. cruise ships, international cruise ships. Um, what responsibility are we putting on them at the source? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, the honest truth is I don't have a lot of uh, knowledge about what pressure points that the cruise ships have. I think mm-hmm. that they have uh, an obligation, certainly, as they're traveling. Um, they definitely do participate. We've had some support as an institution. Um, as they start to look at research and participate in the, as an industry that benefits from and, you know, sort of prosecutes its work across the ocean. Um, one of the really interesting companies that I think to pay attention to, which is not a cruise company, which is a major shipping company, is Imskip, mm-hmm. which is uh, located here and has put a major um, uh, operational center here. They're an Icelandic shipping company that's global. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been very deliberate about um, – thinking about sustainability and working with the city of Portland and the state of Maine and um, setting up its operations. So I think they're, they're particularly attentive to this issue. Um, and, and I think we need to do more work probably with the cruise industry, which is also a global industry. So between um, scientific research, community engagement, youth science education, 
let's talk about staffing. Like how, who, who's, who's doing all this and how many people do you have there at GMR to do this? Yes. Yeah. So when I started, I started in 2005 and mm-hmm. um, I think we were about 12 or 14 people. Mm-hmm. We're now over 80, 80 people 80, reaching uh, close to 85 people here um, of, of experts really in all different fields. So we have a really substantial marine uh, research team. Um, we have a fabulous education team that reaches across the entire state. We see about 75 to 80% of all the fifth and sixth graders uh, in the state of Maine annually here at our lab for an immersive scientific experience. And we have a staff of probably 20, 25 that, that, that do that work. Mm-hmm. And then we have this team of people called the, our community team, which is a mix of people who are doing work directly with industry mm-hmm. um, and, and doing technical support within, with commercial industry as well as working with retailers. So we work we work uh, uh, very deeply with the Hannaford mm-hmm. uh, and with other um, re- large retail chains and restaurants in the area, as well as distributors and processors. So we kind of are, I think one of our staffers calls us, we're physics to fish sticks. So we work <laughs> okay. both to plate. Yeah. All right. I, I like fish sticks. I used to, used to like fish sticks. Um, so th- that, you know, that brings up another question you had touched on uh, briefly, Blaine, that um, you're partially uh, funded through uh, government uh, grants and so forth, I would imagine. Can you talk a little bit about how is all this paid for? Yeah. So I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're a, we're an independent 501c3. So we're a non-for-profit. Um, so we receive funding through a variety of sources, I think about them as different markets, really. So mm-hmm. one substantial market for us is the federal government, where mm-hmm. a lot of science funding is given. Um, and so our our research team in particular, but our education and community teams as well, pursue federal funding from different agencies like the National Science Foundation or uh, NOAA, um, National Geographic Administra- Ad- Administrative and Atmospheric Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, funding from... Uh, local foundations as well, regional foundations, so that have a particular interest in oceans and ocean sustainability. Mm-hmm. And then um, corporations uh, have been a very big supporter. Local as well as regional corporations have supported a lot of our education programming, particularly because we're interested in having our, um, you know, education is really something that happens at the state level. Mm-hmm. And so as we think about how do we get um, Maine students and the Maine population to be more uh, science literate, Right. or data literate and really be able to be an educated public around our natural resource management. Yes. Um, we have corporations that care a lot about that and want to support that. And then finally, individuals. So we get individual philanthropy as well. Okay. So your title suggests, uh, Ventures Officer would suggest that um, there are other things going on there, potentially maybe looking at other uh, ways to maybe incubate, or are you doing any type of work in that area? Like you're starting to support businesses in some way. Yeah. So yeah. So actually, that's that's probably the the for me the most fun thing to talk about because it's the newest thing I'm working on. Good. So I spent the last uh, I don't know 14, 15 years of my career uh, helping uh, build the organization through uh, our fundraising and uh, marketing um, communications work. But um, one of the things we started paying attention to some years ago was that there were a number of there's this emerging field called the blue economy and. Um, it's really a macroeconomic, um, you know, we, we, issue. We're seeing uh, innovation happening across the globe in areas of sustainability in the ocean. And uh, GMRI and our staff have a lot of insight now, given that our fish, our, our physics to fish stick perspective, we mm-hmm. see the entire supply chain. And 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 really, the ocean is one of these places where um, there hasn't been a ton of modernization, and it's beginning to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, as a result, we started. Um, a little group, and I have the privilege of um, 
of being involved in that group to mm-hmm. help uh, look for ways to support startup companies and new companies that are working to provide solutions that are innovative within the blue economy that are providing greater sustainability and can increase our mission impact. Can you, can you talk about any of these companies? <laughs> um, well, I can talk about a couple. So sure. we started out, we, we actually um, had the opportunity to incubate here at GMRI and, and, and actually incorporate a couple of companies that um, came right out of our own insights and, and some of the work we were doing. Mm-hmm. One of them um, started as uh, Gulf of Maine Sashimi and has subsequently been rebranded uh, Truefin Seafood. And that company uh, is helping to uh, secure and, and, and distribute the highest quality premium seafood locally from the Gulf of Maine by teaching local commercial fishermen how to fish uh, in a and and handle fish and, uh, in a different way uh, along the lines of the ikijime kill method that is used in Japan mm-hmm. uh, to prolong shelf life <clears throat> and to, to really create a totally different flavor profile for fish. And we're selling that fish now um, across the country to Michelin star restaurants and really discerning home chefs that are interested in having a premium sort of uh, sashimi grade product uh, from uh, locally from the Gulf of Maine, which historically has not been available. And in exchange for that, we're paying fishermen up to 20% more uh, hmm. than their auction price. So this is a this is a, a double uh, double win. We're not only changing the value proposition and providing great seafood from the Gulf of Maine, but we're also hopefully creating a really nice incentive for fishermen and trying to provide a mechanism for them to keep fishing. Well, um, as a sushi lover, it sounds delicious. That's all I can say. <laughs> I can guarantee it is. I can guarantee it is. <laughs> is there anything else that's going on in that area right now? Yeah, yeah. We have another company that started. We've actually, we actually got started and, and had the opportunity to, to, um, to sell, which was an electronic monitoring company. So think about uh, one of the things, the challenges that commercial fishermen have there. This is a very highly regulated industry and, um, they have to report their fishing and their discards to the federal government. So every trip is highly monitored. Historically, uh, we had human observers and people would go on boats, um, kind of like an audit system. Mm-hmm. And they would just, they would work with fishermen to describe what was being done on the boat and what was being discarded. And what we, what we've been doing for some years now is working with fishing uh, community to figure out a different method that was more uh, economical mm-hmm. And um, and and provided more data, and so we have this really interesting company that started called New England Marine Monitoring, mm-hmm. which puts cameras on vessels, um, and then we do video monitoring and reporting uh, on behalf of the fishing industry to the government um, for uh, these trips. And eventually, it's sort of like Facebook for fish. You can actually we can actually identify fish as they're flying over the side, mm-hmm. uh, three dimensionally. We can tell what kind of fish it is, what size. Um, Wow. You know, and 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 estimate weight, and we begin to be able to use artificial intelligence and computer learning mm-hmm. to uh, accelerate that process, so that it, humans don't have to spend the, the time actually staring at computer screens or standing on boats. Right, right. So yeah. one of the, one of the things I'm very that's, that's amazing, and, and you know, one of the things I'm really curious about is about this. Uh, you know, our our you know our ocean, our the habitats that we have here are not dissimilar, and probably not dissimilar in terms of curiosity with tourism. You know, in terms of what's going on under the sea, not just on top of it sailing. We all know that you know we have more islands, and it's probably the best you know sailing in in in, in the world. I, I think, and you, you never know who you're going to run into um, on the coast of Maine. You know, but you know, talking about the the tourism component of this, um, you know, is is that a, is that a major? Is that a growing area um, of the GMRI uh, mission? 
So I, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, when we first started out, I think we were just this little, this little organization. We had a fairly big building. We we're very few people and we didn't really understand what our, uh, what our kind of our, our community responsibility was. Mm-hmm. And I would say to you that um, we have more and more uh, begun to understand that as we have insights and we have knowledge that we're generating here, it's incredibly mm-hmm. important for us to share the insights we have mm-hmm. with the broader public. And so I think from the perspective, I think if I was thinking about it as a tourist, one of the things we're trying to do is figure out different ways to engage uh, the traveling public, um, our local community here in Portland, particularly with the challenges that we're all facing and the importance of understanding ocean sustainability. And this is, um, turns out United Nations has de- de- declared that 2020 to 2030 is the decade of ocean science for sustainability. Mm. So there's a lot of emphasis on this globally. And we have incredible numbers of entrepreneurs doing really interesting stuff. Um, we're seeing, uh, actually, we're seeing tourists um, in uh, going to oyster farms, for example. All of us love oysters. And we're, we're having now nice little tourist businesses start up with oyster farms, uh, giving people uh, tours of their farms. And you can, just like you can go to California and uh, taste wines in different uh, vineyards. You can, can now come to Maine and do a. Um, it's called the Meroir. Uh, so you can taste the difference in from one oyster farm to the next. Mm. And we have little interesting companies starting starting up where you can go farm to farm and and taste one versus another oyster. Um, and and similarly, we've got uh, people beginning to pay attention to other kinds of innovation. And um, we're we're seeing a lot of European companies now co-locate here to build up. Um, salmon farms and other kinds of sort of interesting infrastructure that will ultimately hopefully benefit the tourist industry as well. Right. Right. We actually have, yeah. had, we actually have had somebody on our show before that does a kayaking trip from, uh, from farm to farm and involves uh, tasting right in your kayak. They've worked. That oh, way. that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah I, haven't, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. <laughs> I don't get the but, benefit. I have to sit here at the office. So, yeah. so Blaine, if you've listened to my show, you probably know that I do surprise uh, our guest with, uh, with a little game show portion of it. And so I was going to tell you, but um, there's three questions I'm going to ask you right now. I have my panel of judges off to my right here. <laughs> They're going to make sure that we keep it all kind of serious and legit, but I have three questions. Number number one, where is the original seawall in Portland? Oh my gosh, that's so unfair, Brian. Where, Where is the is, original seawall in Portland? As you know, I'm going to give you a little background here. Uh, where GR, GMRI is was underwater originally. What it they is, did is so they I filled it's Commercial that. Street. I think it's Phil, and I think Commercial Street. I know we've got Phil. We're sitting on what's called Wright's Wharf, mm-hmm. and so my ex, I, I assume, having seen old images of the of the city, I think Commercial Street was kind of the dividing line. Mm-hmm. But I don't 100% know where was the original well, seawall. Well, our, our actually our judges are going to give you a half correct. So <laughs> you're half correct. I haven't done that before. This is my first half correct answer. But if you look right behind Irving, right behind Irving, there's you're going to see the original wall is there. That's the original wall. So anybody that's listening to this, you're driving down Commercial, look to your right or left. Right behind Irving is the original wall. So that's right where Rufus Deering was located. And now we have some condo buildings. So yeah, so that I am kind of correct because uh-huh. Commercial Street really is the dividing line. Yes. Yep. Well, that's why they gave you half I a give point. me a full point they on that. You, okay. Brian. All right. We'll have to discuss that with the judges later. Okay. Question number two. This is going to be a hard one and maybe even political. Okay. We're going to put you okay. in the hot seat here. Oysters or lobsters? 
Oh, that's a tough one. We heard some well, murmur in the audience. A lot of murmuring was going. Oh, so, oh, mm-hmm. Actually, I have to say, when I came to Maine, I had not, I had eaten neither a lobster nor an oyster my mm-hmm. entire life. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Georgia, and I did not know from either one. Mm-hmm. Um, I came became very attached to lobster, but only lobster tail. But more recently, because I've been working with a lot of oyster farmers, mm-hmm. I'm kind of digging the marijuana of oysters, and I will vote for oysters. I'm looking at the judges. They're all saying you're absolutely correct. That's It's oysters. <laughs> it's oysters. Uh-huh. And we might get some mail on this one, by the way. <laughs> we might. Okay. This is a hard, this is a, this is, could be a math kind of question here, but we're going to keep it easy on you. But um, main uh, coastline is long and it has two different measurements. Um, one is, uh, is the uh, direct route, which is 228 miles. But however, Maine is known for that inlets and outlets and so forth. How long is the main coastline? Oh, that's such an interesting thing because we had an entire internal staff debate, not more than about a week ago about what the actual measurement was, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for the generic answer. I believe we have on our website, which is approximately 7,500 miles of coastal inlets. I'm sorry. We got a different number. We have 3,000. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a, no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I think that there's a possibility you could be wrong, but there is a huge debate going on. And in fact, the scientists do not agree here. So I'm sorry, you could my, be right. And I could be right. Our judges have actually, because of arguing, we have disqualified you on that question. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what we have is 3,478. We're sorry. We were the first one you've ever, we've ever disqualified on, on, a, on a question. Well, but. okay. I'll take that. But <laughs> okay. it, nevertheless, it's substantially more. Okay. Substantially right. more. Right. We will come back to you in a, in a formal apology. If, if we should be, we find that that is correct. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about the type of work that's going on there? What's happening in the future? What kind of things can we anticipate and how can um, our community contribute? Yeah, I think I actually what I would like to do is just express a, an aspiration or a vision for Maine and mm-hmm. for Portland. Maine, Maine has a lot of things that um, are challenging us right now, but this is one area. This notion of the blue economy is one area that um, we actually have something to say on a global scale. We are highly diversified. We still have this marine heritage and working waterfronts. We're very unusual. Most places, if you go in the world and you're right on the water, you're seeing hotels exclusively, and you're not seeing kind of the Christine Waters, um, the huge productivity we have here, uh, the diversity of skills that we have. And so we have something really unusual to offer um, from a competitive advantage perspective that can't be exported. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from my perspective, um, there's the, the, we have this incredible inflection point as the world is looking for um, you know, sources of protein to feed a hungry planet. Um, we have the challenges and the sort of bird's eye view of what's happening from a global climate perspective. And we have this incredible wealth of institutions and partners. GMRI doesn't stand alone in the maritime industry here. We, we work alongside many great institutions. And so we have a chance to really make a difference, not just in our region, but also globally. So I guess I would say we welcome entrepreneurs, we welcome innovators, um, we welcome investors, um, and we, we have an opportunity to make a really big difference. And where can they go to find more about what's going on there? Well, they can go to gmri.org or they can type in uh, Gulf of Maine Ventures to learn more, but gmri.org is the place to start. That sounds great. You know, one of the things, again, we began with me telling you about my 
growing up in Maine and just loving it and kind of taking it for granted. And, you know, this is a problem that's just not going to go away. It's going to take some science. It's going to take a lot of, um, maybe even entrepreneur to come up with some solutions. And, uh, you know, I've, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep this place, uh, nice for our children's and their children's children in years to come. And I really appreciate everything that the Gulf of Maine Research Institute is going. And I appreciate your time, Blaine, for coming on board with us this afternoon. That was really my pleasure. Thanks for uh, including me in your podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Brian Bickford from Mainly Matters, and this is the Tourism and Travel Channel. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much. Good night.